you know, um, I've just, I, I seek to spend time as I trust and hope and believe you do. I seek to spend time in prayer and in fellowship with the Lord and through his word. And I was, I was dealing with some things, uh, this afternoon, just some different things that came my way that just happens sometimes. And I was navigating through that in prayer, just sort of shut away and talking to the Lord, and praying about some of those things and just feeling the weight of it. You know, you can't always, some things the Lord allows you to be burdened with for a season because he needs you to understand and identify how he feels or he needs you to understand and identify maybe how someone else feels. And so then you can intercede. We, I believe some of the fellowship of Christ's suffering. I, I know he suffered through the, the scourging, the beating, the nails, and all of that. I, I would not, of course, in any way diminish or take away from that suffering. But I believe much of his suffering that we are designed to fellowship. You know, Paul said, I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Some of that is the suffering he bore because of bearing the weight of the world. And so... You know, when he drank the cup, he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, you and I do not take on the sins of the world. Please don't misunderstand me here tonight. But as the body of Christ, we do bear burdens. And there are times where some of the suffering we fellowship is not our own suffering. It's the suffering of Christ. And so we come to know how people feel and how the Lord feels about it and where people are. And so I was, I was dealing with some of that today, this afternoon in prayer and wrestling through and talking to God about it and wanting answers when he wasn't giving them to me and just purposing to pray and wait and just sort of feeling the weight of all of that and uh, thinking about tonight and hungry for the ministry of his spirit. You know, I came and I got all that that's sort of in my mind and on my heart, I'm feeling it on my heart when I got here. And it was so beautiful to me. Brother Lewis comes in. He greets me. Asked me about my mom. We talk a little bit just about the cold and things God's doing and how sometimes you just got to go through stuff. And I don't remember every word that we exchange, but it was, it was precious to me in, in just two to three minutes, literally. Like in just two to three minutes, just us talking. I felt the flow of the presence of God begin to lift some of those things I'd been dealing with for a couple of hours. I, I felt 
I felt the fellowship of the Spirit of God. You say in a in a in a what me we might call a non consequential two to three minute conversation with a brother. Yes. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. There is a flow and an exchange. It's not always a, oh, they had a word for me. It's just coming in the company of a brother or a sister of like spirit. The spirit of God. And a few words are exchanged and the spirit of God in those words exchanged as simple as they may be about whatever they may be about. All of a sudden there's a flow that takes place because ah, this is the body I'm part of. And as you all begin to trickle in and I saw different ones come in and just got to greet you and some of you begin to pray. I still feel it. I feel the overwhelming love of God. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. It really is. It's an element that you bring. And I'm incomplete without you. And vice versa. We are incomplete without the other. One of the beauties of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost of course, it is the indwelling spirit of God when he comes and takes up resident within us. That is the promise of the father, the Luke 24, the gift of the Holy Ghost, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We receive the Holy Ghost as they did in the book of Acts. You begin to speak in other tongues as his spirit gives you the utterance. What a beautiful thing to be filled with that power of his spirit. But one of the greatest miracles of that is that when you and I are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, we are now become a part of the body of Jesus Christ. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. We receive the adoption of sons. We are, the psalmist said, we are his offspring. Well, that's a result of us being born again, of the water and of the spirit. So we become a part of the body of Christ. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for the body. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18 is familiar to many of us. And uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, Matthew 16 and 15. Sorry, I backed up on your brother Jerry. Matthew 16 and 15, Jesus saith unto them, but whom say you that I am? Hear me, it's very important that we know who he is. It's very important that we know who he is. You know, we are we are people of the name. Amen. We're people of the name. We are unashamedly oneness. We believe in one God. 
that in and of itself is not anything to brag about. The scripture says the devils believe in one God. And so it's not enough just to brag about the fact I believe in one God, but we know who he is. We know, of course, Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and him only shalt thou serve. We know that Jehovah, the Lord God, through the prophet Isaiah, said, I alone am the Savior. Beside me there is no Savior. These were the words of the Lord God of Jehovah, the Lord God Jehovah of the Old Testament. So when Jesus comes... And Jesus says he's the Savior. Either he's the same Jehovah of the Old Testament or else the Jehovah of the Old Testament was not telling the truth when he said, beside me there is no Savior. And so we, of course, understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is Jehovah God of the Old Testament come and manifest in the flesh. This is why Isaiah could prophesy in Isaiah 9 and 6, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. That son, that child that's born, his name will be the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. What a beautiful thing it is that God would robe himself in flesh and come and dwell among us and that we would behold his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm thankful for that tonight. We believe that. We believe in this one God whose name is Jesus, it matters. It's not enough to see in the book of Acts that people were baptized in Jesus' name and therefore say, I must be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, that is true. It's not enough to just see that and do that. We must know who he is. We need the revelation of the name. Not, not, not enough just to obey it. We have to know who he is. This is how I know that. John chapter 8, Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So see, it's not enough just to obey baptism in the name. I need the revelation that he is I am. Amen? Aren't you thankful to know who Jesus is? Praise God. So here we are in Matthew 16 and 15. Jesus said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, or you're the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. This did not come from natural revelation and understanding. This is spiritual revelation who Jesus is. Verse 18, And I say also unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Everybody say, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not 
prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock is the revelation of who he is. The rock is the revelation of who he is. And that's what he's going to build his church on. I will not build his church. You will not build his church. Like the Apostle Paul said, we will be laborers together with him. But he will build his church. And it's his church. Amen. Acts chapter 20. Hurrying quickly here. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture tonight, I think. Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Paul is speaking here. He's speaking to the church. He says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Verse 28, knowing that, he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Watch. Which he hath purchased with his own blood. I have a question for you tonight. How much does the church mean to Jesus? you to think about that. How much does the church mean to him? He has purchased it with his own blood. I'd submit to you, the church is without a doubt the most important thing in the world to him. He shed his blood to purchase the church. He said, I will build my church. Church matters to him. Book of Ephesians, chapter 1. You just keep your hand in Ephesians now. We're going to stay right here for a little bit. I'd like you to pray with me tonight. Here's what I'd like you to pray in your own words. I would like you to pray with me that the Lord would anoint our minds and that he would baptize our thoughts 
to see the church the way he sees the church. That we would get Christ's view of the church. Would you pray that with me tonight? Would you talk to the Lord about that right now? Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for the church, your precious body purchased with your own blood. I thank you for the indwelling spirit that birthed me into your church. I pray tonight an anointing upon our minds and an anointing upon our thoughts and our eyes to see the kingdom, to see from your perspective, Lord. I pray open our understanding, give us vision to see the church the way you see the church. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, I ask you to anoint our minds, anoint our ears tonight. I take rightful authority over every distraction that there be a clear flow of the Spirit and the Word here. I pray, Father, for your anointing upon my lips of clay. Let your Word speak with clarity, with purpose, with revelation and understanding, Lord, and conviction and compassion. Speak to us by your holy word. I pray the oracles of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter 1. Starting with verse number 4. According as he, he is speaking of the Lord God. Father, Jesus Christ, according as he hath chosen us, everybody say chosen us, who is us? It's the church. He's talking about the church. According as he hath chosen us, the church, in him. Watch, when did he do this? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. This is the church. Paul is declaring to the church, their value. He is declaring to the church the value and the idea that was in the heart of God. And we see clearly from verse number four that he chose the church in him before the foundation of the world. That literally means that before Genesis 1 and 1, before he had the thought to create 
the world. Before he decided to set stars in place and frame firmaments and divide waters and speak birds and trees and fowl in the air, before he ever laid the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. I'm telling you, we need a revelation of how much the church means to God. We need a revelation of the value and the priority that he places on the church. When you and I were baptized in his name and filled with his spirit, we were born into the church, the body of Christ. That is not a small thing. It is not just a check mark on a box. Oh no, I tell you before he formed the foundation of the world, he purchased us in him. He purchased us in him. He chose us in him. This is why the writer of Revelation could declare him as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. How could he be slain from the foundation of the world? I'll tell you how. Because before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. He chose the church before the foundation of the world. And so he knew if he was choosing a church, that when he framed the world, he was going to have to redeem the church that he chose before the foundation of the world. And so he knew, I'm going to have to determine at the beginning to be slain. Because I'm going to purchase this church with my own blood. He chose you. I don't know that we can wrap our minds around this. But if we'll get this revelation, it will strip away all of the adversary's lies that try to make you think you have no value. It will strip away all the deception of the enemy that says you're of no consequence to God. It would strip away all of the enemy's bombardment of thoughts that says you don't amount to anything and you don't have any value. Oh, but I beg to differ according to the word of God. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's how much you matter to God. Church. Matters to him. He chose the vehicle of the church to save the world. Think about that. He chose the vehicle of the church to save the world. Now, Ephesians 2. We'll fast forward. Verse 18. Ephesians 2 and 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now watch verse 19. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners. That's what you were when you were lost in sin. That's what you were when you were bound by the God of this world. But when you were buried in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and your sins were washed away, and then you received the baptism of the gift of the Holy Ghost, you were no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. 
and of the household of God. Paul's writing to the church. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, now you're the building, I'm the building, in whom all the building fitly framed together, watch what happens, it grows unto a holy temple, Notice, in the Lord. In the Lord, not to the Lord. It's often misquoted. When you were strangers and foreigners in the world before he delivered you, but then he birthed you into the body of Christ, the church. You became fellow citizens. We became fellow citizens as saints. And we became a holy habitation. And we, by God's design, are meant to be fitly framed together and grow up into a holy temple in the Lord. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, whose you are? You are not your own. You have been bought. With a price. Verse 22. In whom. You also are builded together. Why? Why are we builded together? For a habitation of God. Through the spirit. Do you know why the adversary wants you separated from other people in the body why he tries to divide separate pick apart because we're builded together for a habitation of god through the spirit this is why in just a few minutes of exchange with my brother tonight i could begin to feel the presence of god washing over and ministering to my spirit and ministering to my life why because brother lewis we're building together we're building together not not for you know some social club god forbid we're building together for a holy habitation of God. Let that get into your spirit. What does the church mean to him? This is what it means. He means for the church to be building together so God can dwell in the midst of his people. Our lives give witness to him. Ephesians 3, read the whole book. It's all about the church. It's all to the church, but I'm hurrying. Ephesians 3, verse 8, Paul's writing. He says, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. Why? That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see. Everybody say, make all men see. This is what he's desiring to do. Notice, 
He's, he's preaching among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world, see, there it is again, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Why? To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. You see that? All of that. Paul's preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ so that men would see the fellowship of the mystery. Well, it's not a mystery anymore. It's the fellowship of the church. And he did this to the intent that principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church. The wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose. See, he has an eternal purpose for the church. When I was younger, we used to sing a song said when he was on the cross that day, I was on his mind. says he knew me, he loved me, he who made his glory shine. When he was on the cross that day, I was on his mind. I would submit to you from the word of God, long before the cross, Long before the cross, you were on his mind. Before all of creation, you were on his mind. The church was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. When you were born into the body of Christ, you were born into that which he predestined. That's what we read in Ephesians 1. Whom he did foreknow, he did predestine. People say, oh, you believe in predestination. I do the way it's written in Ephesians 1. Let me explain that just so nobody's confused. I don't believe in predestination like it's taught by some that says, you know what, it's already decided who's going to make it and who's not going to make it, so it doesn't matter how you live anyway. It's already predetermined. We don't believe that. We are men and women of free will. Now, the Lord predestined that he would save you and that you would be a part of his church. But while he predestined it, he still gives you the freedom of choice. That makes sense? So we are predestined. But that doesn't mean he chooses for us. It's just a matter of whether you and I choose to walk in our destiny or not. I'm walking in mine. 
I'm walking in mine. He chose me in him before the foundation of the world. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world. Why would you not seek to find your place in his body and let his spirit flow and work and operate through your life and mine the way he intends to accomplish his eternal purpose? It's bigger than us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Who's Paul writing to? The church. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beg you or I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now you can read that. See, here's what we do. We read, we read scripture and we, we take it and we just apply it individually. And we can and we should and that's okay. But we must remember the context that Paul is writing to the church. And so when Paul says there in verse number one, I beg you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. He's saying, yes, you have a vocation. I have a vocation that I'm called to in the church. And he's saying, I'm begging you to walk worthy of your vocation. Brother Abel, I can't walk worthy of your vocation. Sister Marisol, I can't walk worthy of your vocation. Each of us has to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. What's the vocation? The work. We're all called to do a work in the church. Not in the four walls, in the, the body of Christ that we are in the earth. And so Paul, recognizing this, is saying, I'm begging you, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Why? Because I need you to walk in your calling. You need me to walk in my calling. And the body is strengthened and the body functions the way it intends to function. And the body has its will, the will of God through us, fulfilled in the earth. When each one of us says, I'm going to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith I'm called. I can't walk in Brother Lewis's vocation, but I can walk in mine. I can't walk in Brother Rosario's, but I can walk in mine. And if each one of us, by the grace of God, operating through our life, will seek to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we've been called, the church accomplishes in the earth what God intends the church to accomplish. This is why the enemy wants you to think you don't matter, but you do. Your place in the body matters. The work you do in the body matters. The vocation and the calling of God on your life matters. We must seek the face of God to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. We're the church. We're not just some group of people that met each other and enjoy one another's company. We're the church. He set us together. He placed us together. Different walks of life, different events, different circumstances, different backgrounds, different upbringing, different histories. God in His great love toward us rescued us from sin and darkness, brought us into His blood and His marvelous light. And then He asked when He fills us with His Spirit, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. It's a calling on the church. It's a calling on the church. It's a calling upon the church. I thank God the church 
I would not be here today were it not for men and women who have gone on, who walked worthy of the vocation wherewith they were called. It was a Sunday school teacher, Sister Brenda Shields. She walked worthy of the vocation and invested in a troubled 10-year-old boy. I thank God for the church. I thank God for the church. I was 14 years old, not living like I should, knew all the right things to say, knew how to go through the motions. But I was lost as lost could be, and if the trumpet sounded, I was going straight to hell. Because I knew, I was 14, I knew how to live. I knew what I needed to do, and I wasn't doing it. I was walking out of church that Sunday afternoon in Anchorage, Alaska. Standing off to the right, there was an opening out of the sanctuary. It was about twice the width of our double doors back there. There were no doors, just a big opening. Well, the Blackshear, the pastor, would always finish after ministry and after altar. He would have somebody pray a prayer of dismissal, always. He would always have somebody pray a prayer of dismissal. And as they prayed the prayer of dismissal, well, the Blackshear would always make his way from the front and get back there and stand on the right-hand side of that opening out of the sanctuary into the large foyer. He was a big man, still is. About six foot seven, 280. Gentle man, man of God. I didn't want to talk to Brother Blackshear. I wasn't living the way. You're, you're not living like you should, and you just get around the company of somebody that you know they're in relationship with God, and you just don't even want to be around them because it feels like, like they're reading your mail, even if they're not. You know, I'm talking about it. Some of y'all treat me that way sometimes. <laughs> I was 14 years old. He talked to everybody that walked out that opening. I waited. I was strategic. I was avoiding him. The way some of y'all do me sometimes. I was avoiding him at 14. So I waited until somebody got up and he shook their hand and was talking to him. And I went to the farthest side of that opening opposite of where he was. And 14 years old, I was just going to slip right on through. I got about right here past that opening. And I hear, hey, Joe. He had this deep, booming voice. There was no, might as well have been God calling my name. <laughs> I stopped. I didn't want to talk to Brother Blackshear. I was lost and I knew I was lost. I looked across. Yes, sir. Come here, Joe. I walk over. Where the black shirt takes my hand, my hand disappears in his. 
I'll never forget it as long as I live. Brother Black sure says to me, that's all he said. This is a church of about 220 people. He was busy. He was doing other things, but he saw this 14-year-old walking by. He said, Joe, if the Lord came today, where would you spend eternity? That's all he said. I said, I don't know, Brother Blanche. I don't know. I went home that day and I repented. I thank God for the church. I thank God for the church. And a man that walked worthy of the vocation wherewith he was called. You got to walk worthy. You're the church. You got to know who you are. When we know who we are, we stop making excuses for ourselves. When we know who we are, we stop making excuses and go, hold on a minute. I'm blood bought. I'm spirit filled. I've been born into the body of Christ. I am someone. I don't, I'm not lifted up with pride, but I know whose I am and I know who I belong to and I know who I am and I'm the church and he loves the church. He gave his life for the church. He purchased me with his own blood. I'm a value to him. I'm not walking around as though I don't matter. I'll not believe the lies of the adversary. I'm part of the church. Thank God for the church. Hear me. You can't be saved without the church. So Paul says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you called. But this is how he says we're supposed to walk with all lowliness, meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. He's talking about the church. I, I got to forbear one another. You ever get, don't raise your hand. You ever get frustrated because you know somebody's not carrying their weight? That's going to happen in the church sometimes. Sometimes there's going to be some who aren't going to carry their part of the burden in the church. What do we do? With long suffering, we forbear one another in love. That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking to the church. Forbearing one another in love. Doing what? Verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. He's talking about the church. What am I doing? I'm preserving the church. I'm not preserving a, show, a social club and everybody feel good. about. I'm preserving the church. I'm endeavoring to keep unity because it's the church. And I have a part in the church. And you have a part in the church. And therefore, you have to endeavor. That's work. You endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. The bond of peace because you understand you're a part of the church. Verse 4, there's one body, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The Apostle Paul wasn't writing to the church about the oneness of God to give them a oneness of God Bible study, though we use it that way. He was writing about it to take paint the picture 
of just as sure as there is only one God and he is in undivided. This is how the body of Christ, the church, should be. Skip down. I'm hurrying to finish. He gave, verse 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why did he give all these different ministries? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, everybody say the whole body, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, what does it do? It makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The whole body fitly joined together and strengthened by that which comes from the joints. I was strengthened tonight when I joined with my brother in conversation. Strengthened by that which come from the joints. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, it makes increase of the body. Not to the promotion of individuals, but to the edifying of the body. In love. This is what happens in the church. This is God's design and function. In the church. Praise God. Praise God. Let's hurry. Ephesians 5. Verse. Skip all the way down to 17 for sake of time. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Anybody? I pray that prayer right there. Do you ever pray that? Lord, I don't want to be unwise. I want to understand what your will is. Okay, so Paul's writing. He says, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's talking to the church. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Everybody said amen. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. This does not mean singing to yourself. Okay? I know he says speak to yourselves. He's speaking to the church here. You got to read in context, okay? Oh, this means I'm going, oh, I'm talking to myself. I'm singing to myself. No, 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 no. Yourselves is the church. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This is what the church does. We come and sing and worship. This is a part of that. Amen? 
Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord. That's what the church does. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, watch this. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In the church, we are called to submit ourselves to one another. To one another. You know what keeps people from submitting themselves to one another? Pride. If I thought I was better than Brother Lewis, I probably would have never received what the Lord knew I needed from our short exchange tonight. We submit ourselves one to another. Not as though one's better than another. But we need one another. And so we submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Not in the fear of one another. In the fear of God. You know what that tells me? That tells me if I'm not willing to submit to one another, there must be somehow, some way, there must be some lack of the fear of God in my life. But if I have a genuine, healthy fear of the Lord, I will submit myself to my brother and sister. Well, but they don't know as much as I. Well, hold on a minute. Well, yeah, but they're not as spiritual as I. Hold on a minute. These are things that get in the way. Talking to you about the church. We need to learn like never before to be the church. Help us, Lord, to be the church you intend us to be in the earth. I don't submit myself to someone because if the only people you'll submit yourself to are people that you determine are better or more spiritual or you're in deception anyway. We submit ourselves one to another. I recognize there's things my brother and sister bring that I don't have. It's not about better than, more spiritual than. Get all that junk out of the way. Stop that type of nonsense in your conversation and thought. I simply recognize the Spirit of God flows through my brother and sister. They're not perfect, but goodness knows, neither am I. But together we become the perfect and beautiful body of Christ. Why not just submit to one another and thereby draw strength from one another, thereby edify one another, thereby build up one another, thereby encourage and strengthen one another. The church should be a safe place. Not safe for sin. But it should be a safe place where we can confront sin, brother to brother, sister to sister, in love. We submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. This is what Paul's talking about. He's talking to the church. Now watch. You know these next verses, but stay with me as we finish. Verse 22. 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Still talking about the church. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Why did he give himself for it? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present the church to himself glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Oh, how he loves the church. Verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. You see that? Now watch. I know we always read those verses and speak to husbands and wives and talk about it at weddings and all that stuff, but watch. For this cause, because we're members of his body, his flesh, and his bones, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. What's he talking about? Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I speak concerning Christ and the church. A question. Leave verse 20, 32 up there, please. You read those verses. And we read of Christ's relationship with the church. And Christ's care for the church. And then Christ caring for his own body, he's cherishing the church. So you see something very interesting here. In this passage of Scripture, see, all of this is written to the church. It's applicable for marriage, yes, but the primary purpose of Paul writing was to the church, not marriage. In those verses we just read, Who's the church, the husband or the wife? This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
Watch. Here's the beauty if you go back and you read through those verses again. The church is both. Are we the body of Christ? That's the husband. He said we are of his bones, of his flesh, of his body. He was speaking to the husband. But then it says he came to cleanse it and sanctify it. He loves the church the way. It... Oh, how is this possible? I'll tell you how this is possible. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. You know what the Lord wants? He wants perfect union with his church. Whereby when the world sees the church, they don't see something separate and distinct from the body of Jesus Christ. They see him. They see the manifestation of the glory of God. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to him. Why did he leave his throne in glory? The only begotten of the father. Why was some of his last words on the cross to John saying, man, thy mother. Why? I'll tell you why. He knew I must leave father and mother to cling to my wife. The church. The church is the bride of Christ. And the church is the body of Christ. So stand with me. And I ask you this question. Brother Joey, thank you for teaching the last couple Thursday nights. Very much. How long have you been married, Brother Joey? Just celebrated 13 years a couple weeks ago. A week ago. Two days ago. Woo! Happy anniversary to you. It's awesome. 13 years. Brother Joey, is your wife perfect? Joey, how do you feel if I talk about your wife negatively? I'm good. Even if you know what I say is true. Not good. Not good. See, it matters to the husband how somebody speaks about his wife. It should. Any husband worth his salt. I have a question for you. I don't answer too quickly. How do you speak about his wife? What do your conversations about the church sound like around your dinner table? How do you talk about the bride? 
What are your conversations about bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh sound like? Is the husband pleased with your conversation about his wife? See, it matters how we talk about the church when we get a fresh perspective of the church. I won't run my brother. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about condoning sin. You understand me? But there is a biblical way to deal with those things. And there is a carnal way to deal with those things. And the biblical way pleases God and preserves the church and keeps the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And the church makes increase of itself, edifying of itself in love. The carnal way is divisive and destructive. And I assure you, the husband is not pleased with the carnal. I know my wife's faults and her and I may talk about them. But that's a privilege reserved between a husband and a wife. But because I love her, I'm going to cover those things. Just like he covers you. We need his perspective of the church so that we know who we are, and so that we have his love for the church, the body of Christ, and that we seek to care for the church. I'm going to give you some revelation right here. You are just as responsible as I am for the care of the church. And so I ask you, and I asked me, am I doing my part to care for the church? To love the church? To build up the church? To strengthen the church? Oh, how he loves his church. You say, well, the church has got people with problems. Yes, each and every one of us are in it. You say, well, he's coming back for a church without spot or blemish or any. We just read that. Oh, but you didn't pay attention to the verse before it. He's going to sanctify it by the washing of water, by the word. He's going to do that. That's what's going to make it without blemish. It's not going to be because you and I have gotten it all perfected and we're all perfect people that now have it all figured out. Who are you fooling? It's because he bought us. It's because he washed us. It's because he birthed us into his body. That's what makes us without blemish. It's not my righteousness. It's not yours. It's the robe of righteousness. And so I must learn to look at you and see his robe. 
The elder brother struggled to see that on the younger brother. He found fault. He was looking at the past when the father had already covered him. Oh, God, let us see the church the way you see the church. Give us a love for the church. Give us a heart that cries out and strengthens the church. Give us a heart to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called to be the church that you've called us to be, whereby we are a holy habitation of God through your spirit. This is his design to be a holy habitation of God. You're the church. What a privilege, what an honor, what a calling. You're the church, the church of the living God, a living, breathing organism in the earth whereby he'll reach and save the world, whereby he'll manifest himself to the world, a habitation of God through the Spirit. That's the church. I thank God for the church. I thank God he saw fit to put me in the church. Thankful, Lord. Oh, give me a love for the church. Forgive me where I've spoken ill of your bride in any way. Forgive me where my conversation or my attitude or my action, Lord, I repent in any way where I've spoken ill of your church. I don't just even mean locally, Lord. Globally, across the face of the earth, give me a love for the church of the living God. Help me to bear up the church. Help me to strengthen the church. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the church. Thank you for the church. What do you do if there's trouble in the church? What do you do when someone's struggling or stumbling or falling? I'll tell you what you do. Galatians, Paul told us, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. says this, If a brother be overtaken in a fault, it's going to happen. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, go tell somebody else in the church. Oh, no, that's not what it says, is it? What do you do? Restore. Why would I restore? Because it's the church. It's the church. How do I restore them with judgment? No, 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 no. I come and I restore in the spirit of meekness. How do I have meekness? I consider myself. If I was in the place they are, how would I want someone to restore me? So I consider myself if I were so tempted. And I seek to then restore such a one. Why would I restore? Oh, because they're part of the church. The fact they were overtaken in a fault doesn't mean that they can no longer be part of the church. Yes, the Lord will not allow sin in his church. He will deal with that. But we have a responsibility if we're spiritual. You'll prove how spiritual you are if you restore somebody or not. Verse 2 says that if we do this, if we bear one another's burdens, we actually fulfill the law of Christ. It's an interesting thing, and I finish with this in 2 Corinthians 
2 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Let's try that. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, 28. Watch. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth about taking communion, what we call taking communion, eating of the bread and the body, the bread and the drinking of the vine, blood and the body of Christ. He says, let a man examine himself and let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. He's talking about the body of Christ. Verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, watch what happens. He eats and drinks damnation to himself. Whoa, whoa. The man that takes of the bread, representing the body of Christ, and takes of the fruit of the vine, representing the blood of Christ, if he eats and drinks unworthily, he eats and drinks damnation to himself, or he brings judgment on himself. How? Why? Last five words of that verse. Not discerning the Lord's body. They don't have a proper view of the body of Christ. And because they don't have a proper view of the body of Christ, because that was the issue if you read further up in 1 Corinthians 11, there were these factions. Some were rich and some were not so rich, and they were, they were comparing. They didn't have a view of the Lord's body. And so Paul said, you don't rightfully discern the Lord's body. And because you don't rightfully discern his body, when you take of the fruit of the vine, you eat and you drink damnation to yourself. I'm telling you, how you view and discern the church matters. You know what a result of it was? Verse 30. For this cause, what cause? The cause that you don't discern the Lord's body. You don't have a clear, right perspective of the church. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. They're dead. Spiritually dead. Spiritually weak, spiritually sick, possibly even physically but the reason for that spiritual or physical weakness and sickness, a root of it is not having a proper perspective and discernment of the church, the body of Christ. I pray that in 2023 that we are heading into, I pray that we be baptized with a love for the church like never before. And I pray we be baptized with a recognition of who we are collectively so that we would never seek to self-isolate, but simply seek our place in the body and our function according to the will of God. That's what's going to cause him to be made manifest and glorified in the earth. The church. Aren't you thankful tonight? Can we thank him together before we go? You have been so gracious and attentive and open. Would you thank him for the church, for his word? Would you purpose with me to...